I need, I need more. I really do need more Lindsay in my life. I'm with it. We all need more Lindsay in our life. And that is a beautiful transition into getting this puppy going because it's our fifth new show. Lindsay, how you doing? Doing well, Zach. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I got you and Rob on the line on a Friday morning. I mean, how can I complain? We had Rob on back in February, which is bonkers, dude, because it feels like a year or two years ago or something. Like, I feel like I haven't seen. Yeah, it was like it was like a week. It was like a week ago. It feels like it was it was uh, three and a half, four years ago. No question. It's bonkers, man. How you been? How you been since then? A lot's happened, man. Man, no complaints, dude. It's like uh, every day feels a little bit better in New York, which is good. I get to hang around smart, interesting people like you guys. Everyone's sort of popping back up and wanting to have conversations and it feels like uh it feels like a new day every day which is always good hopefully the same for you too things are moving in a good direction i think for all of us you know payroll apis are growing embedded finance everything it's all moving up into the right so that's it doing good so let's yeah. let's let's talk rally some updates series b debt financing all these things on top of each other so 30 million dollar series b 50 million dollar debt facility whole bunch of growth pulling a little quote from the article i was reading earlier about you guys more new investors participating in offerings in Q1 2021 than in all of 2020 combined, a 575% increase as compared to the same quarter the previous year. You don't look tired though, bro. I mean, you see it on my face. I realize I look in the mirror now and like you said, the last year and the last 18 months, let's say they move so quick. I look at myself now and I feel like I felt a little bit drained, but I feel recharged now because the summer's here. So you caught me in a good little window of time. It's always tired, but good tired, the good type of tired. Good tired with the cop in the hand. That's that's how I know. You and I got to know each other a little earlier this year, as I said, but Lindsay, you have known and been following Rally from the early, early days. So talk me through how you found Rally. And like, I, I was even watching a little CB Insights thing this morning that you were talking about that. Yeah, I had a bit of a, a bit of a fintech crush on Rally Road. I initially <laughs> found them, I mean, CB's model, we use data from the platform. I had found this SEC filing and had been looking at what they were trying to do. And it seemed like they were fractionalizing literally a Lamborghini. And that to me was sort of the light bulb moment. We'd seen the brokerages open up the market for the retail investor, no fee to low fee models. Then you've got the real estate aggregation marketplaces that are bringing all of these consumers into the same asset class, but essentially fractionalizing it. And then of course, you've got the crowdfunding opportunities. There are you know ways to invest in in new asset classes as well but rally road was doing something fundamentally different it was it was not only combining the business models like the the fee free model but then also taking something that was artificially scarce in collectibles and bringing it to the masses and i just really loved what they were doing and i i called it the wild card of like the fintech 250 back in 2018 and it was one of those things where i didn't want to just spotlight 250 unicorns that had way too much money i wanted to spotlight companies that were also doing really interesting things that were novel and that I believed in. And then I met the team following all that and it just solidified what I, what I'd already thought to be true. Yeah, Lindsay's day one for, I'm not gonna, I will not, I will never take that away from her. And I tell everybody who will listen, Lindsay is like super, super, super early day zero, I would say. And I mean, one of probably the small percentage of women on the platform. And we've talked the, about this. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, when, it, when it was still sub 5% of the user base, Lindsay was like all of the 5% at that point. <laughs> <laughs> there were 10 people. <laughs> there were there were 12 people, 12 which people. Lindsay was one and a half. Yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's get into it. Let's talk about the fact that assets have, have not necessarily always appealed to both genders. And, and initially starting with the Lamborghinis and the cars and 
the, the asset class is inherently masculine. That's where you had to start. You've gotten into mm-hmm. wine, you've gotten into books, you've gotten into more exotics. But again, the gender diversity and the split has nothing really to do with the platform and the team all the time. It has to do with like, what do women want? That speaks to the, the information asymmetry a bit too. Like we've been in this world where for a hundred years and Lindsay, you know this, and Zach, you know this too, obviously. Things haven't changed dramatically with the way that money transacts and the way you, you make an investment. And so you have all these things that are considered risky and you have the only the masters of the universe have access to it first. And that was, that was the case when, you know, stocks were considered too risky at a certain point and then REITs were considered too risky at a certain point. And now we're at a point where crypto is a little bit too risky. And the people that are really still controlling the float right now are a very specific group. And with alternative assets, it's not that different. So even though the, the assets themselves, whether it's watches or cars, they have that DNA that says like, you know, older bearded man smoking a cigar kind of, and that has changed dramatically in the last like five or 10 years as alternative assets and the access to information about them changed. And I'm starting to feel like we're seeing that switch right now where you have people who, you know, and completely independent of gender, of race, of religion, of credo are saying like, I have access to these now. I'll do the, the I'll do my own research. I'll figure out where my money should be. And now I have the on-ramps to do it. So I think we're starting to see that change dramatically. Whereas even 10 years ago, it still felt like it was one group that had access to all the information and all the assets. Lindsay, what you own some Harry Potter, like the original Harry Potter copy, and then some Charles Dickens as well. So is that kind of the, as these assets get added, do you get more and more intrigued? Also, I'm really, when you said what women want, and then you asked Rob a question, I just imagine you you know that scene from what women want with Mel Gibson, where he's in the, he's in the bathroom and he's like trying on all the different, you know, he'd like try something yeah. to shave his legs with. I just imagine Rob doing that to try and expand the percentage of women on the platform. Yo, any, the- anything, anything we can do to get people excited about what we do. I have no pride. I assure you. Yeah. The Birkin bag. I think it would be high fashion for you. And they've that, actually had a couple of Birkins. You know, what's funny enough, like we've, um, so, uh, so Nas was an investor in the platform and his manager, uh, Anthony Soleil, who also manages future and Gunna and a bunch of other rappers. There's the, one of the, I told him this, one of the biggest sort of switches in the, the way that people invest on our platform was when Gunna put out a song that was literally called Birkin bag. And it was all over the, it was mm-hmm. all over the video. And it's just like this thing where it became a backpack. It changed the way that people thought about it, like on our Instagram and our Twitter and inside the app. It's a weird thing where like the investment has now separated from the utility in a very specific way that is not specific to gender, which has really only happened recently. Nas had a line on the last DJ Khaled album that was like, what was it? Coinbase, I'm the cryptocurrency Scarface, something yeah. like that. Just yeah, like two Coinbase. lines. I'm just waiting for him to have a rally line. I'm trying to ping a lot of people to figure out how we can you sneak our way into a good. song. You've done Kanye's art. You've worked yeah. with Common. You've worked with John Legend. Like yeah, yeah. when Kanye was doing, uh, was going on like a rant about about uh, wanting to own his masters and all, and not even a rant. That's all fact. That shit. This was yesterday. Artist. I mean, yeah. it happens often. But I, uh, <laughs> I text, I texted uh, one of his managers, John Malapia. I'm like, yo, dude. I said, like, we can actually make this happen right now if you wanted to. And I sent like a long uh, explainer of how it would work. And he just sent me back the praying emoji. So I was like, all right, that's not going to work for right now. But I'll get back to it at a certain point. Like that was a way of saying no, not right now. So I'll get back to them at some point in the next like six or seven months, hopefully. Talking for the general, because we were really dialed into it. And this is all about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll step back. I'll step back a little bit. Yeah. So basically, like what we've done, what Rally's done to this point is that it's really about democratizing all alternative asset classes. And Lindsay brought it up. It started with classic cars, which was this really sort of uh, somewhat esoteric, but also very sort of niche to a certain degree. People thought about it as cars are a depreciating asset, but there's this small group that really had a lot of power in that space that knew that there were some appreciating assets that were within that sort of the blue chip versions of those classic cars. 
And those have outperformed the market forever. So we were always looking at those as the first starting point that has shared DNA with everything else on our platform. And that's now it's watches and wine and, uh, you know, dinosaur fossils and all these things that, you know, the wealthy collectors have always had access to. But the best in class stuff is really hard to find, hard to source, hard to validate. We pass it through the SEC and allow you to make that investment the same way you would in any stock. And then you could trade it on our secondary market through registered broker dealers after the IPO is done. So now we're starting to think about that was all tangible assets. And that was always the first chapter of rally. The second chapter was always going to be intangibles. Yeah. And the experiences that go with it. So when you have something like people understanding now from like the Kanye's of the world and the people who really have a platform and a stage to say that independence and equity and all these things are super important. And like that Nas line, like, you know, Coinbase is like, it's a really specific thing because it gets into the zeitgeist and it makes people understand like this person who you always knew as a rapper has this prolific tech portfolio. And he's done it in a way where he was able to get in and have a value add to the system and understand how the whole process works and put his money where his mouth is if he believes in something. So for us, any asset class that looks and feels like something you know best, or you feel like you could see around the corner, or you've seen this history of returns, but haven't had access, that's something that will and should be on rally at a certain point. So music rights, real estate, domain names, creator economy stuff, where you have somebody who might be an influencer who has a huge following, but isn't necessarily monetizing in a way that, that benefits the community or in a way that they can sort of put money in their pocket and still put out new, put out sort of new content. Those are all things that we can and will be doing. And that's like the next version of rally are those cash producing assets and things that are looked at as, as interesting right now, but nobody realizes it is a true investment. My job in these things is to like slow us down and bring us back down to like how this works at like an end of one level. So if I'm an artist, right, I'm Kanye, I want to be able to, I want to be able to own my own music rights, right? How does that play into doing something with a group like Rally and having someone actually have the ability to invest in something like that? Like, are they giving up ownership when they do that? Educate me. I'll do it at the highest possible level. For us, there's a couple of, there's, there's a value add to having your fans have access to your music. Let's say if music was the example that we're using right now. So from my side, as a fan, I look at it like you always want to be the, the, the first person who's at the concert when there was like, you know, I was there when there was only a hundred people there. Now, the biggest name in music and like you prove that you were there kind of that's the pride of ownership that comes with being a part of a journey whether it's music or anything else for an artist there's a lot of people now who i think you know the way the label system works and this is something this is you know in my past it's something it's the world that i kind of came from a little bit and it was interesting to watch what happened there were people like um names that i i hope and i would assume some of your listeners know like nipsey hustle and kanye to a certain degree who realized there was value in independence and in owning a little bit of the the, the majority of the process i should say that means that it's a little bit of a slow burn. It's like you're playing the long game and it's not having the huge label machine behind you. But if you have a following, you should have that optionality now. And it's become cool to kind of be independent and to set your own price. So if I'm a new artist now and I come out and I have, you know, a SoundCloud page, I have some songs on, on Spotify and Tidal and Apple Music, you know, I'm getting I'm getting the 100 million views on YouTube. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's like a huge label pushing and promoting you. You have the optionality to go straight to your fans now if you have that following and say, do you want to be a part of my career? Here's what the value of my you know 10 city tour might look like. Here's the merch that we're going to do. We want you to be a part of that too and think about what you would want to buy. We'll put that into the design concept. All right, the majority of my fans are in these four cities. Let's set up those as a tour stops. Also, I'm going to put out three singles along the way. Uh, and we want you to really be a part of that. And you're going to sort of fund that process, but have a little bit of equity in it. So now I, as an artist, instead of having to go to the label, wait for them to say when my album comes out, have them open up my budget, have it all be recoupable where I owe them the money. If I don't make money on the album, I could do it in a way where I put out an equity offering and my fans, the people that know it best, 
they can say like, all right, you know what? The, uh, the value of this 10 city tour has the potential to make, you know, $15 million for a million dollars of actual equity. Me and the group of people who know it best can have some sort of skin in the game and be a part of that person's process and part of that journey in a real way. And now the artist gets the price that they know they deserve. They're able to sort of pick how much of that, whether it's a single or an album or a tour, how much of that they want to securitize instead of having to sell the whole catalog or sell the whole piece. And they get to do it in a way where everybody can make money together and be happy together and be a part of that experience. So that's where you have like the two-sided marketplace that we're trying to create, where you unlock liquidity from supply without having to go through the routes that are a little bit predatory at times for the artists, for the fans, you get to really be a part of somebody's journey instead of just buying their album, you have equity in it. And it's been proven too, like the people that have skin in the game are way more likely to spend money, to start that flywheel and tell a million friends to put in their group chats. So you're really turning your fans into your marketing machine and they have real say in where you're going and, and skinning the game to be a part of it from start to finish. So that's like a complex way to explain it, but we really want to sort of create a world where if you have something of value and there's a group that cares about it, you guys should meet somewhere in the middle and be able to go on that journey together. The whole like Dave Chappelle thing that's happened recently. Let's let's boycott the Chappelle show. And then all of a sudden now it's he got paid for it. We don't know how much. And now it's back on all the streaming services. I would have loved to have sort of gone to Dave Chappelle and be like, yeah, we'll, we'll get every single episode back. We have a, a group of fans all over the world that want to be a part of that right now. And you get to set that price. Like that's a situation that we can really get into now yeah. that we weren't able to, you know, two, three years ago. Right. And then there's also the element of crowdfunding has always sort of existed. There's been some regulation around has worked in international markets. You see companies like Revolut, which is a neobank that came up. They One of their first rounds was a crowdfunding round because they, to Rob's point, were the first people to, to share it. And so it becomes a viral loop, especially in B2C, which is one of the core elements. The other, of course, is UX, UI, and Rally has been unparalleled in that. I've always been like remarkably impressed by your ability to take what is an artificially scarce asset. And yes, it's a car and it might not be my first choice, but because I can understand a capital market, I can look at it. You made a, you made a mock-up prospectus, like that type of attention to detail, like that type of stuff is going to be the thing that sets you apart in, in the path that you go. And I think there are other asset aggregation platforms, but the way that your company has always thought about, you know, what does my consumer need today? And like, what are they interested in? Like, it's never like, yeah. Oh, let's pick the most expensive thing or the thing that's going to appreciate the most. We're going to go after interesting assets because that's what our, our consumer is asking of us. That's what's changed so dramatically. And, and you have both seen it. You, you both have feet on the ground in a world that's changing every single day. Mm-hmm. But passion and money were these things that were like separated. It was money was always this the zero something. It's like get as much as possible, work in finance. That's how you make money in life. Like there was this weird thing where the, the yeah. gap got wider and wider and wider and wider. Because you have to like even now. Now in New York, when we're chasing good engineers, like they're making the decision between a startup like ours where you can build what you want to build or like go work at Goldman Sachs and guarantee yourself a check. And I completely understand that. But that binary world changed. So now like, you know, passion levels the playing field a little bit. So if you have somebody who really understands that, A, I should be thinking about my money and I have a lot of different ways to sort of invest right now. And it doesn't necessarily just mean equities or 401k. There's all these alternatives that I can go with and invest in things that I care about where you have, even when we were doing cars, There'd be kids that walk into our showroom in New York and we'd have like a Lamborghini in the middle of the room. Like Lindsay's been there and seen it before. They're 17, 16, 15 years old. They know every single detail about this car that came out 30 years before they were born. So to be able to sort of level the playing field with that passion, with that information, and then make an investment based on it is something that is still so brand new. And we hate using sports analogies of like the first inning, but really when, you know, everybody that's doing this, that's doing any type of crowdfunding, 
is for the most part leveraging the Jobs Act. And that's something that's, you know, less than a decade old. So to think about how new this is relative to the world of finance and how new the ability to sort of understand each of these assets at a level that never existed before for anybody just going to YouTube or doing a little bit of Google research, all those are converging and happening right now in a world where there's this search for yield. So all of that's just converging in a way that it, it seems like it's happening within this exact moment right now, but it's like a good decade long lead up and it's just starting to catalyze right now in a million different places. Yeah, there's decades where nothing happens and then there's years where decades That happen. just happens. That's yeah. exactly it. That's how it goes. And the other yeah. thing is, I like that it's kind of a good segue because you said, you know, things are happening and they're, they're happening right here in Manhattan. And mm-hmm. it's kind of a segue into one of the assets that I'm looking at aggressively, which is the Declaration of Independence. I'm hoping it's going on July 4th, which is Friday. We're trying to figure out when it, when it actually goes live. I think we want to make sure it's something that has meaning and that's, you know, around the editorial calendar and feels like it's supposed to happen. <laughs> but the I think the way we look at it, too, is that it's we're always trying whenever we go into an asset class and political history is kind of where the Declaration of Independence falls. We want to make sure it has like real significance. It's something that has a history. It's something that also like the polarization that goes around a lot of these assets is an important part of it too. We want to be able to let the, let the crowd decide whether this is an important asset for them and for their portfolio. So, you know, everything we do in the app is like, here's all the information. If you want to make your investment, go for it. If not, tell us what we should do better. So the way that we're working with the Declaration of Independence is that a lot of people didn't realize that there's probably like, there's 20 or so copies of the second declaration, the, the first edition, I would say, first edition copy of the Declaration of Independence. Thomas this one's Jefferson called the didn't have Word. So that's right yeah, man. Yeah, they didn't put it in the in notes on their phone back then. So the, Was it a notion? The way that, <laughs> it was a yeah, notion. I, All right, yeah. Lindsay, I'm kicking you out. <laughs> they, they, yeah, I love you. Had, I'm kidding. Had, I'm yeah. kidding. You stay. You stay. John, <laughs> John Hancock was PMing. It was on, it was on Monday. It was on his... Yeah, massive segue. My bad. So the way this is set up <laughs> is that they had the Declaration of Independence that everybody learns about, which is in the rotunda in Washington next to the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. Then each individual colony kind of had their version. Like the this is called a Walsh 15 broadside. So it's like the first edition copy that was read in a town square by like a governor or somebody really important to the area. This was in Exeter, New Hampshire. It was July 1776. It's been in what was in one family for generations. Uh, wow. the, the, the family of, of, uh, of an engraver who was like really well known uh, all over New, Ham- all over, um, New Hampshire, and all over New England. So this is one that was in uh, Philadelphia and Constitution Hall. And it was, it's been sort of on display in true museums. So we've been sort of working on this for about a year or so. Anytime we go into a new asset vertical, we want to find the most important piece. So for sports cards, that was this, this Honus Wagner car, which is like one of the most famous cars of all time. For cars, for us, it was a 1955 Porsche Speedster, which is like the basis for so much of racing history and what's happened since the 50s to now. For political history, it was always going to be a declaration of independence. And these are, they come to market so rarely. There's been around 11 that have changed hands in the last decade. Wow. They'll go to auction every now and then, but it's really, really rare that they're on public display. So that's one that the the IPO will go live at some point very soon. It's a $2 million asset, $25 per share, 80,000 shares. And as soon as that IPO is done, we'll have that sort of on. It'll definitely be in our New York museum, which we're redoing right now. It should be open midsummer, but that'll be part of the roadshow as we start to expand the experiences and the spaces and be able to sort of, you know, tell the story behind the history that you've invested in is a big part of what 2021 is going to be for us as well. Tell us more about that plan as the world reopens. Like when am I, when am I getting you to Kansas city? When- You're going across the country. What happened was right before everything shut down, like we had so much opportunity. We were having so many conversations with people who really understood what we were doing and had, you know, the same, had sort of, you know, 
viewers or users or part people in their experience, these big brands and hotels and, you know, uh, like-minded companies that were doing similar stuff, beverage companies, like a million people came to us like, listen, we have a consumer that probably looks and feels a lot like the people on Rally. We should do something together at a certain point. Also, you know, we just got this space. We're thinking about doing something. We don't know what to do yet. You guys want to come build it out. So we had all these opportunities in front of us. And then obviously the world shuts down. You start to rethink everything. And we sort of pulled it back and we said, let's start thinking about a rebuilding what we have right now. So that's like the new experiences in the app, a revamped secondary market, a lot of stuff that we've been working on sort of in private before everything started to reopen. That's the first thing that you'll see are all the updates to the actual app and to the web version of the app. Right after that, we reopen our, our space here in Soho, which is on Lafayette Street, which you know, Lindsay's been here. Zach, I got to send the um, Lindsay's got to send her jet out to you to pick you up and bring you back to New York. And then you can kind of see it yourself, too, hopefully. But this is one that for us, like we put it in Soho in the middle of like this really specific area in New York that has a mix of tourists and locals and people from every borough. And there's like, you know, every high end luxury store. But there's also a lot of mom and pops places that are still around. So that to us was very much an ethos of the brand. And we kind of just open the doors and let people come in and look at all this incredible stuff, have conversations with the people from Rally about what it means, how the platform works, and hopefully leave with a good feeling. We've never sold anything really in the store, but we've used it as kind of like a clubhouse and had events. So now as start, everything starts to reopen, all those conversations that we were having in early 2020 are starting to happen again now. And so we think about places where our users are and where our investors are, and that has the same feel as where we are right now. And there's parts of LA that are definitely like that and parts of South Florida that are definitely like that. At the same time though, we want to go where our users are. So we have a huge Florida. contingent. Yeah. I mean, Florida is definitely, Florida's number, Florida is number four right now. Yeah. So it's like right now it's like New York, California, Florida, Texas, they kind of switch. Chicago has a big piece of it, but also like, you know, Zach, we've talked about it, like Iowa, which we have we have roots in in terms of like the people that we work with and the partners on our platform, but also a ton of our users. Ohio, we have a ton of users in Ohio and invest in Ohio. There's SWATs all over the Midwest right now where we want to go where our where the investors are so they could see the things that they've invested in and be a part of our process as we source new assets. So for us, like the second place you'll see, the second location of the Rally Museum will most likely be in, in L.A., Right after that, we'll probably be somewhere in the Midwest and then start thinking about what Miami looks like. So that's like a big, big part of sort of, you know, we're never going to be the museum of ice cream. We don't necessarily want to be that, but we do want to sort of democratize that museum feel where it's not just a choice between walking into the museum of natural history or going to the museum of ice cream. There's an in-between where you get to really be around these awesome, awesome, true pieces of history and leave with a little bit of equity in it. If we could do that with like-minded brands and people, whether it's pop-ups or full-time spaces, that's what the that's what a lot of 2022 is gonna look like and the second half of 2021 for us. Man, I, I can't think- wait to have you in the Midwest. And Lindsay, is your mom gonna be attending this when it's in Florida as yeah. a user? Absolutely, she's a very big fan of this. She didn't understand in the beginning, but then she saw the the future of fintech video, and she downloaded the app. And if we don't have one Davis at every event, I feel like we're missing out. You know what I mean? Oh, I need I, at least one. I need at least one. I have a ne- I have a niece now. Thank you, COVID. It's <laughs> nice. A COVID and a COVID niece. That's what we want. Yeah. yeah. Um, like let's let's just like rewind and talk about one of the things you said, which is like, oh, people can engage with their assets. It's actually one of the more important things is they're learning about the asset. Like again, in the beginning, no one understood. Like, what are you doing? You're fractionalizing a car. You can walk in and it brings the asset class to life. And in COVID, let's talk about the fact that you did lose one of your core customer acquisition channels and the ability to pivot that. And and you had the Snapchat announcement and now NFTs have blown up. Like, I know you guys have all been creative, but how do you stay focused where the users are going to be? Like you said, on the other side of this, like Clubhouse might not be where your users are forever. 
Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think that we've, so that you hit on a good point. There's so, so many inputs right now. And they're especially in this space because everything is really an investment now. Everyone looks at everything as an asset. So when this first started, cars to us was like, we can build trust in the fact that this asset class is a real thing by starting with the best possible vehicles and then putting them on display. To your point, making it tactile, bringing it to life. We always looked at it as kind of like, we call it passion-led investing. And we've seen the way that the persona works and the way that our cohorts work on Rally is that someone might come in because of the, you know, the pretty picture. They walk in, they see this Lamborghini. And that for us, when you have four or 500 people coming into your store on a, on a Saturday in New York, you know, half those conversations always leads like downloading the app basically and having that conversation inside the app. Then they learn more about it. That's where the passion comes. But then once they make their first two or three investments, they start to get, become really savvy investors and they're doing that self-education. So now we're at a point that as soon as they make that second or third investment, they're like, well, have you thought about going into this asset class or this vertical? Or have you thought about NFTs? Like that becomes the nonstop conversation in the best possible way because that's the feedback we want. At the same time though, you know, we're on this road with like blinders on looking straight ahead and you have to have Howard Lindsay says it all the time. It's like the only problem is filter failure. It's nothing to do with noise. Noise is going to happen no matter what. But if you're not sort of filtering out the stuff that's not important to core mission, which right now it's more asset classes, more liquidity in the secondary market and unlocking more liquidity from supply. So for us, we've always thought about those three buckets as if this doesn't achieve two out of three of those goals, then we're not going to do it for right now. We'll put it on the side. We're always listening. But for us, like NFTs are the perfect example. That is something that it's on its little down tick right now, but it's so incredibly prevalent in every conversation from, you know, people on our platform to my mom, like everybody wants to have that conversation right now. So for us, we're listening, we're making sure that anything we go into a has legs, but B really has the collective knowledge and experience around it that we can kind of bring it to life in a unique way. And when we find that perfect asset, that's when we sort of, and we have that domain expertise, that's when we make a jump into a new asset class. And we look at NFTs as an asset class. So we'll be doing more stuff around it over the next like two, three months. You'll see a few little things from us here and there in terms of like the first big NFT on Rally. That's something that we're actively working on right now, but it's not something that we just jump into because it's hot. You know what I mean? That's kind of what we're trying to stay away from. That's always been, you know, your, your core thesis is let's see where the user base is and let's not rush in on something and I've always admired that. And I think that that's, again, why you've been so successful and why you're here at the Series B. You know, a lot of people debated the TAM of this. And I got pushback when people are like, you know, how, how many, you know, classic cars are there in America? How many consumers want this? It's, it's less about, you know, the TAM. It's more about, again, the desire to, to be a part of something. And then also for the first time, many of these people are investing. You're, you're, yeah. on, you're, you're growing the market. And yeah. that was always like the hard part, but you can now see it, right? The incredible success you've had in Q1 with user onboarding and just uh, the secondaries are incredibly hot. I, I, always, yeah. I always miss them. Nah, I mean, it's like, where it's, it's, you hit on a great point. It's that TAM is this thing that it's, it's less prevalent now, I feel like in, in early, especially in early VC conversations. And I'll talk to other founders and I'll like, you know, write small checks for other companies. And well, everybody now looks at it more. It's like, a founder, an idea, and to be able to unlock a brand new marketplace instead of having to go into a market that already exists and access that time. So before, before one and a half companies before Rally, I was running product at a company called Kimi here in New York, which is a, it's a digital locksmith, but really the core competency was in this incredible computer vision and the robotics. So it's like, take a picture of your key. If you ever get locked out, you can print out a copy anywhere. It's at a bunch of, a bunch of different retailers. Used it. And, 
Okay, yeah, Mark. So, so it's like one of those things that it solves a really specific problem. And it's also one where like we had the the best, our robotics team and our, our computer vision team were crazy. They're all geniuses who they would have to stop what they were doing and try and understand my easy questions. Like it almost hurt their brain. <laughs> but that being said, when we were sort of pitching that every time we had a conversation and we're bringing on new checks and they've been incredibly successful. And Greg Marsh, the CEO there is one of the best CEOs I've ever worked with. <laughs> But they would be like, eh, it's only a, the locksmith industry is only a three or a $4 billion marketplace. But the biggest thing is that it hadn't been innovated for so long. And the same thing could be said for kind of what we're doing and that the penetration into that three or $4 billion market was going to be massive. It wasn't going to just be just the mini slice of it. It was going to potentially be all of it. So when you think about all these individual asset classes, whether it's sports cards or cars or watches or you know dinosaur bones, they're all individual addressable markets. And they're ones that haven't been disrupted in the way that we've kind of come to the table. So when you start to aggregate all those individual TAMs, you start to realize like, shit, you throw real estate in, you're talking about trillions of dollars of untapped liquidity right now on both sides of the table in a very inefficient market. So that's how we've always discussed that. Whenever it came up like, yeah, but the market a little bit small. I was going back to those Kimi days thinking like, man, these people really don't see around this corner right now what's about to happen when you have all this massive transfer of wealth and you have all these 40-year-olds and 35-year-olds who are getting all this stuff, these buildings handed to them. I'm not in that world, so I have no idea how that works. They're going to want some liquidity out of that. If we can be here to provide that, then the TAM grows dramatically once we get there. TAM just comes back to the market. I think at the time it was unproven. There, there are ways in which you're taking the product and the product roadmap. Hey, we can talk about the IPO thing another time because I know we're like literally abusing your calendar right now. So I want to be respectful of that. But again, taking costs out of the system and making the business model successful as well. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, that's the difference. You're just describe the difference between like, you know, a party versus like a real market and a real ritual. It's, it's when something's super hot, you pay no attention to him. When something's not, you're trying to build something brand new. Everybody asks every single possible question around where that market's going to be because they don't necessarily trust that the asset class or the vertical you're in, they haven't heard it enough from the people around them. And that was us early on. And now we're at a point that it's, it's in the zeitgeist. It's part of every conversation is what are you investing in? And that's what's changed dramatically between five years ago and now. No question. Part of this fundraise has to be adding some team members. So let's maybe close on that. You guys are hiring. What's the best way for folks to get in touch? We're hiring for everything. Anybody who's, we want to hire smart people and have them come in and find their role here. I think that we're looking at everything from engineering and product to marketing to operations. So we're going to have our, our jobs page updated in the next like week or so on rally on rallyroad.com. But we'll also um, be publishing way more of that on social channels. So on RallyRD, on Twitter, uh, I'm Rob Petroso on everything. My DMs and text messages, everything are open. If you have an idea, you have a place we should be going, or you feel like you should be a part of this mission, by all means, reach out directly because it's something that we paved this road in a way that we're looking straight forward. We know exactly where we need to go with it. We got to bring the best people on board and try and build that mission pave this road. That was a work that double in beautifully. The double entendres are everywhere. That's, it. It's, that's what we do. We just try from and make Wall it as clever. Yeah. yeah. From Wall that's, Street to the Rally Road. That, Lindsay's the only person that really understood that. Everyone thought it was like a car thing. Rally Road was the other Wall Street. It was like a Wall Street where everybody gets together and invests on, in one thing and rallies well, together. It was a triple right. entendre. We were going that too. That too. Well, it was yeah. DTCC days and, mm. and the fact that first, I didn't realize that when I'd walked into the shop, I was like, oh, Chris gets this. Because the yeah. They actually created, you know, stock certificates. Like those are just a novelty, but you get yeah. that in the mail. I got one in the mail from my Hodis Redding and I thought it was like a Christmas gift or something. I was like, oh no, everyone gets those. I was like, what? We got, we got some real, the stuff like we've really, so that's like the merch part of this business has gotten much bigger than we anticipated it would, I think. So, you know, and it's beautiful. Doing five figures on like on sweatshirts and stuff is still wild to me, but the stock like that, 
the the little kid getting like a, a Disney stock certificate from like grandma type of thing was what we we're trying to recreate. So we do, we'll be doing way more of that and, and way more aggressively going into that space to make some really cool stuff for people soon. Well, I hope you made the right decision with your Friday to spend it with us. And we really it's the best way ever. I'm, I'm like energized. I'm ready to go outside and run a marathon right now. I might, I might go, I might come by your place and say, you want to do a 5k real quick. I left my shoes in an Uber in Florida, but I'm down for coffee. <laughs> All right. Makes sense. I'll, uh, we'll take it slow. We'll go with coffee. 17.76 though on July 4th. Is that what we're going to do? Yeah. I'm down. I'm in. Poetic. I'm in. That sounds horrible. I'll meet you guys at the at the finish line. I'm out. I'll, I'll go. I'm gonna go lift some weights. Like swing. I'm gonna go swing some kettlebells with Action Bronson somewhere in New York, and I'll meet you guys at the finish line. I'm not doing that. But Rob, oh, thank man. you, brother Lindsay. As always, we have a good time. But we got to do this in person. This has to happen in person sometime later this year. Dude, yeah, I hope I'm I hope I'm invited, man. I hope I'm invited to this, the, when the dream team connects, when Jordan and Pippen hang out in New York. Let me know, man. We just hang out from the background. I'll wait. Oh, that was that was the kindest thing I think anyone's ever said to the two of us. Who's <laughs> Jordan? I don't. Uh, I, I'll, leave, I'll, leave, I'll leave that to both of you. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk reckless. I love Zach. That being but, said, I got history with Lindsay. Like Lindsay is Lindsay's Jordan. I will take the. I'll take Pippen all oh, day. I'll you. take Pippen all day. I'm That's, in on that's that. like something. That sounds like something Jordan would say. So I don't know about that. Ooh. All right. All right. We can we can I'm talk for it. like four hours. That's the news, folks. We'll talk to you next week.